Okay, grab your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to Luke chapter 16. Knocked out an entire chapter last week, and we're going to knock out another one today. <laughs> so Luke chapter 16, the entire thing. Here we go. <clears throat> now, he said to his disciples, There was a rich man who received an accusation that his manager was squandering his possessions. So he called the manager in and said, and asked, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you can no longer be my manager. <clears throat> then the manager said to himself, oh, What will I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm, I'm, I'm too ashamed to beg. Yeah, I, I know. I know what I'll do. So that when I'm removed from, man, from management, people will welcome me into their homes. So, he summoned each one of his master's debtors. How much do you owe my master? He asked the first one. A hundred measures of olive oil, he said. <clears throat> well, take your notice, he told him. Sit down quickly and write 50. Next, he asked another. How much do you owe? Well, a hundred measures of wheat, he said. Take your notice, he told him, and write 80. The master praised the un unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd than the children of light in dealing with their own people. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth, so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with what is genuine? And... If you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and scoffing at him. And he told them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly admired by people is revolting in God's sight. The law and the prophets were until John. And since then, the, since then, the good news of the kingdom of God has been proclaimed, and everyone is urgently invited to enter in. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter in the law to drop out. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. And, any, and everyone who marries a, a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. <clears throat> there was a rich man who dressed, who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man, poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you, 
so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from here cross over to us, from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so that they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to, to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Lord Jesus, this is a lot to process. Bring us together into one mind, into one place of uh, your word is teaching us to go. Lord, enter us, you know, help us to enter into your, your word and help us to enter into your heart that we may know and understand and walk out, to live out what you're saying in this passage. Um, inspire us, Lord. Give us joy and give us direction this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> so, this morning, a bit of low there. There we go. This morning, the, I've entitled the, the, my sermon, Love God and Love Others. Now, the reason why we read this entire passage was because it's all one point. It's all one, in one entirety, one thing altogether. It sounds a little bit disjointed, but I promise you, I'm going I'm to help try to join them together to show you Jesus' overall, um, the arc of, of his point here this, this morning. Um, now, I often talk about NCIS. So here is very special agent, as he calls himself, very special agent Anthony frickin' Dinozo is what he calls himself. Anthony Dinozo. That is the character that's basically kind of my, uh, my, my doppelganger in the sense of he is a movie addict, and he's constantly quoting movies all the time. Super funny, always tries to make a joke to make you know, uh, very hard and heavy situations light. Right? He's kind of the jokester of, of the team. And he, always, he has this, uh, this theory. It is, always suspect the wife. That's always where he goes. First, first guess. If a husband is killed, where was the wife? And how could she have done it? <laughs> because there is this, you know, this, this concept of, you know, the, of the money, and, and oftentimes it's the how much was his insurance policy, right? I, want, I killed him. You know, he died so that I could get the insurance policy. <clears throat> there was even one episode that we just watched this last, this last week where the husband got so fresh, he, he won the lottery, and his wife and his mistress were, like, fighting over his money, and he just decided to kill himself, and they came home and shot the corpse so that, and, like, accused each other so that they could split the insurance money, which is $2 million. It's all about the insurance money, right? All about the money. You know, murder oftentimes is about money. Always suspect the wife. But our, the, the point of our passage here this morning is love God, love people, and use money to what? Love God and love people. And we use our money and our finances, our, our attention, our focus to love God and love people. Because there are so many murderous thoughts, and you know, as, as the Bible even says, you know, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves 
with many griefs. Because when you have to love God first, you can wander off into, I need something to give me purpose. I need something to give me value. So this is going to give me value. I'm going to invest in this. <laughs> Pun intended. Um, in order to have something that we feel is there for us, that we can rely on, that we have our, our identity and our purpose in because we've forgotten to first love God. Oftentimes then we'll start, we'll start to use people to get and, and accumulate riches for ourselves versus loving people and using money as a tool to love God, love people. Like I said, this entire chapter is yet again about the same, same subject from beginning to end. Love God, love people, use money to love God, love people. We see it over and over and over again, the entire passage. And we'll get back to the, to, to the work here in a little bit, because it's right smack in the middle of the passage. So the first thing I want to start off here with the, here this morning is that first and foremost, they, this is you know, surrounded by, bookended by parables. I want to be very clear. They're parables. And parables, it's important to understand this, it's important that when we face parables and we kind of un understand parables, we go to, okay, what does Jesus mean? What is the point in story? Because Jesus has a point. And oftentimes we try to like ascribe all these other different meanings to a parable that were on the, on the periphery that Jesus was kind of using as an illustration to, to prove his point, to talk about the main point. So it's, it's very important that we don't try to make it say things or establish doctrines based on these peripheral details uh, meant to illustrate Jesus' point. Like, for instance, this is not financial advice. Right? He's not using this steward as a pinnacle of financial advice or what to do or what not to do. His heart is getting at the heart of the issue of of the steward, which we'll get to in a second. And the second parable that bookends the other side is that it's very tempting, but we need, to, we, need, we need to not do this. This is not establishing a doctrine of death and hell. This, is, this passage has been used and, and abused to prove certain things about eschatology, meaning the end times, or hell, death, and the grave, that it's not trying to say. Jesus' point was this rich man was not generous to Lazarus, and now he's suffering. This man, this opportunity to serve a fellow brother in Israel was right before him, and he did not take it. And now he's miserable. He missed the blessing. That's the point. It's not to form the whole doctrine of hell. In fact, there's a whole lot of other ways that we can understand hell, but that's another conversation altogether. But we should read it as such, um, and we should not use, these, use parables to prove points that they were not meant and sought out. To prove, right? So we, need, so we need to come back here. Parables are descriptive. They're, they're illustrating a point. They're not prescriptive, right? Uh, so he's not telling us to be like this steward, right? The basis is not to love or devote yourself to the accumulation and preservation of money, possessions, power. This chapter is all about misplaced devotion and finding can recalibrate our devotion recalibrate where we find joy 
recalibrating the vision of our lives, the, tra the trajectory, so that all of these daily decisions follow this great defining decision, this trajectory of Christ, keeping you know, Christ and his, his kingdom the focus of our lives, the finish line of our faith. That's what, what guides every single decision of our lives. So we start to make other decisions, that means our trajectory has shifted. Our attention and our, our devotion, our affection has shifted. So we need to shift our trajectory back to where it needs to be and follow it with daily, devotion, daily decisions. So there's three ways to, to read this first parable. The first one is he stole the money. He just like straight up stole it. Right? Or two, stealing the money meaning like he changed the amounts. You know, where there was on the paperwork, it said this, and, the, and he changed the amount and stole from the owner. Right. Second way to see it is he knocked off his, his own commission. So maybe this, this, this manager got and accumulated this debt for his master. And so, that, and so his commission in this was this, you know, cut of the debt, right? The third way is he forgave the interest of the debt. So for, for, for the sake of argument here this morning, we're actually going to go with the third of these ways to read this parable. I think the mo most of the commentaries, most, uh, most scholars kind of seem to settle on this point as a, as a point of agreement. Um, because here's the thing. Interest in Israel was illegal. God's, God's law commanded that they not charge each other in Israel. And the people of God, they were commanded by God to just loan money and get the money back. To not try to gouge each other with interest. The second thing is, is that God is not the master of this story. Because if we see that, then we're, then we're seeing God do something illegal. Which God cannot do something against his word. So in this illustration, Jesus is not saying that, you know, because you know, a lot of other stories will have like the master is God and the servants as the, as the Pharisees or the people who, of, the, of the church, you know, the people of faith in Israel, right? This is not one of those times. Jesus is using this illustration to say this master who is already doing something, it's kind of sketchy, right? This master or this, this, uh, this uh, manager was you know about to was mishandling this master's property maybe because he learned it from his master so this could actually be like the sanhedrin or the chief priests you know and the in the, the the stewards of the pharisees or the sadducees or the people that you know the pharisees because he's talking to them uh, in this passage they're seeing and emulating what they are seeing their master the chief priests doing gouging Israel, going against God's law for the convenience of their traditions, right? And so the master acted against God's law. So people use oil and wheat uh, for, the, for this purpose to get around that, you know, God's law because they're not charging interest on money. They're just charging them interest on more oil and more wheat by tacking it on. And so the illustration here, we see that this oil, the amount of oil is about, three years worth of a person's salary. So about $150,000, you know, give or take, right? And then of wheat, we, I think it's like 10 years of salary. We're talking millions of dollars, or at least, you know, hundreds of, th hundreds of thousands of dollars, not millions, necessarily. Hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt. And so lots and lots of money was, or were, valued stuff was forgiven. 
So the servant most likely deducted the interest that he was charging these debtors. Why? Because he could get away with it. Because if the master wanted to like keep him accountable and like you know bring a charge against his servant against this manager, he would have to divulge his own sketchy practices to the legal magistrate. And he, the servant knew that he wasn't going wasn't about to do that. But then he could also use that as a way to gain favor with these people who owed the master. All these people over here, because he knew his, his position was done. He was you know, basically getting fired from his job. And so he was in, in de- you know, indebting himself, you know, basically kind of endearing himself to these other debtors in the world. It's very true. That's why he kind of praised him. We'll get to that here in a second. But uh, you know, for this man's uh, shrewd business practices. Um, and the thing that we're, we're want, I want to point out in this passage is on the flip side. So if we don't love God, we don't love people, what are we loving? And what is, what is the result? Like why, what, what is the love of money? Like we talked about, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. What is in our human flesh, our human nature of this world, what in, the, in, this, in the worldly ways, what is the love of money? The love of money is fear of suffering or fear of death. Love of money is out of fear. Devoting ourselves to that is living through discontentment. You know, discontentment is the desire to get as far away from these fears as possible. The greater the fear, the greater the discontentment. The greater the fear, the greater the greed. Let's look at this, the connection. Let's make some connections here this morning. So the, the, the Pharisees. Jesus is, is talking to the disciples, but if we look here in verse 14, he says the Pharisees who were lovers of money were what? Listening to all these things. Do you think that Jesus knew that they were listening? Yeah. Why was Jesus telling this, this, uh, this parable? Because the Pharisees were I'm going to talk to you knowing that this point is actually for, for this guy over here. You know, that guy, he's right. And so the Pharisees were the, were the actual true audiences. And basically he's telling the disciples, don't be like those guys. Right. So first, let's look at the first parable here. The steward was using his position to gain favor with those in the world who will be in hell. So the Pharisees are trying to live their lives to gain the approval not of God, but of man who will also be with in destruction. Second, the rich man could have used his money to bless others, specifically Lazarus, who was, as it says in verse 20, lying at the rich man's gate. He had every opportunity. Every time he came home or left, he could have been a blessing to this guy. Maybe paid for some medical care. He's like, oh, wow, those, those dogs are having a feast on that guy's uh, wounds there. But he didn't. He didn't feed him. He didn't shelter him. He didn't bandage up his wounds. He was just content to sit in his own wealth. And that's what Jesus is saying of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were these religious jerks who just thought about them, themselves and themselves only, about growing in their knowledge and their prestige and their holiness, and didn't care a lick about anyone else. 
They would actually use other people around them to make more of themselves. Have you ever had experience, those experiences with, with religious people? Right? Being hurt, being, being used by religious people, being judged and condemned by religious people, being put down, dismissed, hurt by, by, by the, the, the religious people, by organization, right? No, organization is not evil, right? But it can be wielded for evil. It can be wielded for what they think is, is good, but it actually leaves a wake of destruction in their, in their wake. They're fighting. We're, gonna, we're doing this thing here. We're going to plow through. We're going we're gonna to make these things happen. For them, it's good. Like, oh, we want to make Jesus known. But behind them, they leave a path of broken lives and broken faith and people who are just willing, you know, just ready to give up. I just don't want it. I don't want your faith. I don't want your Jesus. I don't want your Bible. I don't want your Bible college, your, your Bible classes. I'm sick of the weight being heaped on me. This is what the Pharisees were doing in this passage, in, in this whole culture. They were heaping tradition upon tradition, law against law. They thought they were being faithful to God, but they were leaving a, a wake of hurt and destroyed people. Faith being destroyed. People's lives being destroyed in their wake. And then we see this passage right in the middle. The summation, oftentimes in our, in our world, is at, the, is at the end. We got the, the, the premise, the thesis, the explanation, and then the conclusion. But really, Jesus puts this conclusion, or, or I guess Luke here, would put the conclusion right there in the middle of this passage between, between the, the two parables. This is the love of money, is worship of mammon, or money, or possessions, A.K.A. this is idolatry that these Pharisees are stumbling over. Now, commentaries speak of the separation of these as, as independent sayings. Um, the, you know, the, the last one, you know, some commentaries, not, not all. Um, many of them actually put them together like I am. But a lot of commentaries will have the, the parables as different, as separate. But these are one uh, continuity of this one point from beginning to end. The love of money over God and people or, or others. Now let's look at the Pharisees again. The Pharisees in general were the ones who were mishandling what God trusted, namely his, his flock, his possessions, which is a.k.a. Israel, his beloved people. So these were the, the bad shepherds that the Old Testament prophesied about for years and years and years, that God was kept correcting, stop using and abusing your flock, bless the flock, flourish the flock, Psalm 23, lead them to green pastures, lead them to the still waters. That's what these shepherds in Israel were supposed to be. That's what pastors are supposed to be. These people to lead you to the joy, not come down on you and beat you up. And use the Bible to do it. The Pharisees justified themselves by their shrewdness through their traditions, through the, the Mishnah and the Talmud and and the ways that they saw and interpreted their faith, heaping heavy loads on others and not lifting a finger to help. Right? The Pharisees were abandoning the law. Jesus even says, everyone, you know, the, the, the law is not going to pass away, y'all. That's the Texas version. <clears throat> they were abandoning the law. <clears throat> the culture, the way of God's kingdom, to what? To love what was detestable to God. 
They were loving idolatry. They were loving putting riches and knowledge above the love of God. And abusing people in order to justify themselves, in order to glorify themselves. They were still held under God's laws, but they were not only breaking God's laws in so many ways, (laughs) as Jesus would point out, but they were also living opposite of God's ways. Instead of loving God and loving his people, they were fearing God, being afraid of him, thinking that he wasn't a loving God, and using people to make themselves feel better than they were. All of which the, all these things they were accountable for. <clears throat> and here's what we get to a really interesting little section here. Verse 18, the one random verse. If you look at this whole passage, there's one verse that looks like it's completely out of place. And what is it? Verse 18, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. And everyone who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Now for us, we're like, what? Where does that come from, Jesus? You're just talking about money and service, and you're not even talking about this rich man. I don't, what? How do these things get? But the Pharisees would have understood it like that. Jesus was calling them out on their crap. And you know what their crap was? Divorcing a woman to get dowry of the next. Think about that. When Jewish men got married, they would receive a dowry from their family. Be married for, to her for a little while, a little something to kick out. All right, cool. Hey, bring on more dowry. Bring on another dowry. It was all about love of money. Always what? Suspect the husband. As very special agent Anthony Dinozo would say. Always suspect the Pharisaical husband. Those who are what? Lovers of money. The Pharisees were using women and divorce as ways to further themselves economically. Using divorce versus, versus blessing marriage. The Pharisees had no love or compassion for what God loves. And first and foremost, it's people. First and foremost, God's love was, is us, humanity. People, specifically his beloved chosen people. For us today, it's his church, his ecclesia. The Pharisees had forgotten the wisdom of Solomon. A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Ill-gotten gains do not benefit, but righteousness rescues from death. So, if love of, of money is fear of God, uh, is fear of, of death and, and suffering, what do we do with money? We trust God, not money. We value people, not wealth. Now, let's get to that question. Why did the manager, or why did the, the master put this unrighteous manager, like it says? This is more like a, hmm, touche. Touche. I see. Good point there, sir. Yes. Touche. It's more of like, you did something shrewd. Touche. I can't do anything about it. He wasn't saying, good job, man, you're awesome. He's more like, good job. Awesome. 
kind of see, more sarcastically, you know, praised. Praised. I can almost see Jesus, you know, around the campfire. You know, and this, unra- this master praised this unrighteous manager, right? The sons of light, as it talks about in this passage, are the what? The righteous. Us. We are the righteous, right? He who knew no sin became sin so that in him we would become what? Righteousness of God. So we, the church, his beloved and chosen people, are the righteousness. We are the righteous. Those who God has called and brought in to live right. Got to live right, act right, talk right. Live the right way. That's why you know, the right way, the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the what? Way. Early followers of Jesus, of Jesus were called what? Followers of the way. Followers of the way. The way in which we live. The right way. There's a right way and a wrong way to live. The sons of light aren't as what? Shrewd as the children of this age. They use and abuse people. The unrighteous, the children of this age, is what we're talking about. They use and abuse people. And they expect, what? To be used and abused themselves. So they're shrewd in anticipation of being used and abused. The sons of light, however, don't see or treat people as simply those who can be exploited for ill-gotten gains, like our, our verse just said, or these treasures of wickedness. <clears throat> righteous versus unrighteous gain and righteous versus unrighteous stewardship of, of well-gotten gains, of right-gotten gains. We cannot have a divided devotion or misplaced devotion. We have to place our devotion in the right place. The, the shrewd servant or, or shrewd st- uh, steward loved money over God. The rich man loved money over people. There is no you know, best of both worlds in the kingdom of God. Now, again, I say this to say, are we supposed to say then say we shouldn't use money? We shouldn't invest our money. We shouldn't be good. You know, to, we couldn't. We shouldn't desire to you know to have a good job that makes good money or making make good investments that make good gains. It's all about the gains. You know, you know. No, it's not. We're not, we're not saying that we shouldn't invest and, and we shouldn't go and look at our portfolio and be wise with our money. That's not what this passage again. Don't ascribe to God's parables what He's not putting on there. He's not saying that. This manager was, from the beginning, was a dishonest steward of this. He started out the story. What? The master found out. There was an accusation of the, that this manager was what? Squandering the possessions. This dude is like one of those guys with a credit card, just like racking up all this debt. Or just like squandering all this possessions. Taking the, the petty cash from the corporation and just spending it on booze and, and whatever he wanted. Knew this and knew that. Woo! Having fun. Completely just annihilating the trust that he should have been gaining in his master, in his boss, right? There is no both, best of both worlds. As the Bible says here, no servant can serve two masters since he will either hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one. And despise the other. He can. You cannot serve both God and money. Now remember, those words, love and devoted, agape and devotion, are 
similar words, meaning the same thing. Steadfastly devoted, loyal, having a loyal love, a loyalness, a loyalty to someone or something. Our love, our devotion cannot be divided. Again, like I said, he is the tool, not the obsession, not the goal. The goal is not the money. God is the goal. The money is the tool that God has entrusted to us to use. Take a look at your schedule. Think about that. Take a look at your schedule. In your, in your mind, think about your typical week. What do you love in your schedule? You can tell a lot about what we love by looking backwards. Faithful, in, like it says, faithful in much, faithful in little. Where are you generous? Where did you love? You know, where did you put or entrust or spend the money? Um, and how does, you, how does the way you spend that show where, you, where your love is? Think about, this is a, a big wake-up call for me. Um, Dave Ramsey says to take the last three months of your bank statement and lay it out on the table, and you'll see what you love. You'll see what you're devoted to by where you spend your money. Same thing, you take your schedule. Where you spend your time is what you love, is who you love. Have you loved what God loves? Have you invested in what God loves? Now, there's a, there's a difference between this. Stewardship, I want to talk about the word stewardship. Stewardship is not having a mindset of scarcity. Uh, part of our, our LLC, my pastor's meeting, we read books. And so we read a dissertation by a friend of mine, Jamie. And she's talking about this, this, like this culture of scarcity compared with a God of abundance. God's form of stewardship is not hoarding. God's sense of stewardship is also not going nuts and spending it all frivolously or just simply giving it away out of some sense of of guilt. He's not calling every single one of us to, to give all of our possessions and money away like he was calling that rich young ruler. That's not the call that he gives to every Christian. Your, your goal is not disparity. <laughs> the goal of our faith is not poverty. Poverty doesn't equal piety. Right? I've heard so many, so many things where it's like, you need to give all your money away and do this and sponsor that and do that. That's not what God is calling, you to, calling all of us to do. It is strategically placing our time and strategically placing our money into that which God loves. By what? First, setting our affections on what God loves. Because money and, and time and, and possessions will follow our heart. Where your heart is, there your treasures will follow, will be also. Right? Stewardship is loving what God loves. He's calling you to be faithful to him, to trust him, to value him to shift your thinking about where you divert, uh, where and how you budget, save, invest, etc. Your your money and your time and your possessions, your your house and everything that you have. Everything that you have. 
Because stewardship is about using money to, in wisdom, in generosity, in contentment and joy to what? Love God and love people. And use money to love God and love people. Acting in a way of wisdom. Love. Contentment in what you have. And I love this word, joy. Joy. And what is living this life in joy? Your life in joy is spent cultivating more life. Using your, using your resources, your time, your money, your possessions, your house, everything you've got as seeds to be planted for cultivating life in, your, in the world around you. Cultivating life in your life. Cultivating life through your life. Cultivating your life, cultivating life around you. So, when you make a budget, when, you've, when you're spending your money, when you're saving money, when you're investing money, ask, the, ask yourself these, these questions. Does this love what God loves? Does this cultivate life around me? Does this cultivate life behind me? Because like I said, the Pharisees and religious people, they use and abuse people in order to make much of themselves and leave a wake, leave a path behind them of death and destruction. Versus what will be left behind you? Will there be flowers? Not literal. Will there be life cultivated through your life? As you go forward in your life, will you leave in your wake flourishing? Joy, transformed lives, blessed individuals, a legacy. That was a, a, a great word that was brought up this morning in our prayer time. Are you going to be leaving a legacy behind you of love, of faith, of joy? At the end of, her, of your life, could you say that you have cultivated life through your life? That's what God desires. God desires for you to cultivate life and to bring life everywhere you go. And so as we engage with him, ask ourselves, whenever we spend our time, you sit down with our schedule, sit down with our, our budgets. You need a budget, by the way. If you don't have a budget, get a budget. Because then you can be intentional about it. Do it on purpose. Like I love to say, live your life and do it on purpose. Do it intentionally so that you can cultivate life, so that you can love God and love people and leave in your wake life and joy and peace and hope, a legacy of faith behind you. Live your life. Do it on purpose. Jesus, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your word. Lord, I just thank you for your presence with us. God, I pray that you'd bring yourself into our minds every time that we sit down with our schedules and with our with our budgets lord and help help lead us to cultivate life little by little we don't have to make these crazy transformations overnight lord help us to walk with you day in day out to recognize that you are always with us step by step and you want to cultivate life everywhere that we go to bring your kingdom to this earth that your kingdom would indeed come, your will be, it would be done on earth as it is in heaven, in your kingdom. We pray for that. We pray for you to come near. 
and to live your life and live your joy through us as we cultivate life in this world that you've given us. Draw us close. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.